James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. Some... He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos's very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have a very special guest. We know him. We love him. Anyone who's familiar with the Chicago Bulls knows him and loves him. We have Trey Hill from the um, Ethos Bulls podcast. Trey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. So I'm excited. Around... This time last year when Bird Rights first started getting off the grounds, I had you as one of my first, one of them, if not my first, then definitely. I was my, the first. The first. Yes, okay. Okay, good. Podcast. I'm glad you remembered. So you were my first guest on Bird Rights. And we basically are going to, we did something similar to what we're going to do today. And that's, you know, ranking NBA coaches from one to 30, where we think they are. We did it about this time last year. I actually think we did it earlier last year than we did this year. And you know, it's hard because there's so many first year coaches all the time. And you know, it's, it's hard to get a gauge. We we were doing it later this year, but I feel like I had a better grasp on the coaches last year. Um, So the more we watch them, it seems the more the, the water's just muddy. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. And when I was putting my rankings together, I was like looking at rotations, stuff like that, that I see that coaches put together and like, what do they have to work with and how, what, how well do they utilize what they have to work with? And I started to notice, and I'm going to do this in a subsequent episode. I'm going to see if you guys remember, I, Trey and I did coaching rankings and then I had Corbin Ford come on, another sports ethos guest, and he did um, front office rankings with me. So maybe I'll have Corbin on in the next couple of weeks and I'll do front office rankings. But I preface that to say that I feel like I started to see the front office bleed into these rankings a little bit more than they should. And I think that's because that's just what the coaches are given to work with. Right. I I feel like part of that is it it does bleed in some, but like you said, that's just that's more factoring in who has what tools and how well are they utilizing the tools they have at hand. Yeah. So, okay. So, Trey, as we were just talking about before we started recording, I admittedly, I know I'm a big NBA front office guy, salary cap, all that. I still keep up with a lot of that. But admittedly, I haven't watched all that much NBA basketball, at least not compared to what I usually do. Um, I've been been more on a college basketball kick. And again, it's hard to keep up with both, given how many college basketball teams there are. But I'm doing that to get ready for my mock drafts, my big boards, everything like that. So I, I am working on it content-wise. But admittedly, you know, I let, let's just say with Kate Cunningham out, for example, I haven't watched that much Detroit Pistons, if I'm being honest. Um, right, and 
Yeah. For me, uh, I, it's the same for me with as much negativity as the NBA had going coming into the season. It was just really hard to get excited for the product. But now that the product has just continued to improve, I think the basketball itself is the, the best, the most entertaining it's ever been for me on a personal level. And so as it continues to get better, I, it's, it's more and more fun to watch. But you're right, this the beginning of this season, it just – it didn't have that that same excitement as the the last few seasons seem to have had for a lot of people. I don't think it was just you. Yeah. So, but now again. we're in the swing of things, and like you have Shea Gilders Alexander just going off. Um, you've got Rudy Gobert not fitting in in Minnesota. The Bulls are should they just blow it up? There, there's so much going on in the NBA, and there's so much good basketball. The Celtics have the best offense ever. I think it's going to be a lot easier as the months get colder and we're all we all get to be more shut in. I think it's going to be a lot easier to dive into the hoops. Um, and really, I know we're going to start at thirty, so the the coaches we start with they might not be the ones to dive in on, unless you like train wrecks. I love train wrecks. I'm a big believer of the process, man. I mean, um, anyway, my my biggest things that I focused on, as I said, with. I haven't watched a lot of these teams, so I might not know, especially like the first year coaches like Darvin Ham. I haven't watched a whole lot on, even though he's the Lakers coach. And like, obviously, you know, the Lakers, I just started a new job as a prosecutor. The commute's about an hour and a half away from me. So I'm going to bed early. I'm, I'm not staying up to watch Lakers games. And by the time I'm ready to watch, sit down and watch the night from the previous game. It doesn't have the same lust to it. If it makes, if that makes sense. So um, the things I focused on are really the coaches' rotations. Are they playing my evaluation of players? Are they playing the proper guys, the proper amount of minutes, staggering? And again, staggering guys kind of entails watching the games. But are they staggering the right guys together? Um, are they managing egos properly? Are they, like, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, Trey Young and Nick McMillan, how Trey Young didn't even show up at the last game. Because, oh, so we'll talk about that. But that's just an example of, okay, how are these guys are managing egos, managing the players, and getting the players to buy in to what they have to do, whether that's competing or rebuilding or whatever. So, Trey, is that a similar process that you did? Yeah, pretty pretty well. You, you know, you Every every coaching job is different, so you have to kind of judge them on the merits of the job. Um, so when when you looked at all of those factors, who was it that you decided was the absolute worst at their job? It's funny. It's the guy who got a second stint at the same job, which he never should have gotten, and that's Steve Clifford from the Charlotte Hornets. So I I also have him last. Okay. Does does I, I had McMillan second to last before the Trey Young incident. Do I do I flop that because of the Trey Young incident? That that's where I'm at with this because they they both are terrible coaches. They they're both not getting what they can out of what parts they have. I just is McMillan worse than Clifford? I don't have McMillan quite this low, so don't quite, so so not for you. Well, so then let's get back to Clifford. Then, like you said, the second stint and a job that he sh he shouldn't have ever gotten again. How much of him being set up for failure from the front office bleeds into his coaching ranking for you? 
Because Kenny Atkinson was going to take this job. Until Kenny Atkinson was a great pro- coach, too. He would have been an awesome right. And he wasn't going to be able to bring in his assistant coaches because the front office cheaped out, and instead they, they brought in Clifford. So does that factor in for you? Does it factor in what? Well, I, I'm confused what you're asking. How much leeway do you give Clifford because of the front office? I don't know. And like, again, it's tough to evaluate Clifford now. And, that he and Bridges that. being out. So they have yeah. that. They have yeah, that, and they, that yeah. big salary cap just gone. They, yeah. Lamello's James Booknight got arrested. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the organization pretty much is a train wreck right now. So like, are that, we being too hard on Clifford? I don't think so. I think the biggest thing about signing Clifford again is because of how porous the Hornets were defensively the last few years. And they wanted a guy who could at least try to get guys to buy in on that. But the Hornets don't have the personnel to defend well. Like the calling card was clearly going to be their offense. And Atkinson They're not buying in. Yeah, and they're not buying in. Yeah. Like, not only do they not have the talent, but Clifford was brought in to at least get them to buy in and to be in the right spots. Because... Defense, a lot of it is about effort. Um, the Sacramento Kings, I think, is a great example. But I don't think they have a lot of great defenders. They play small a lot. But they're in the right places. They, they make the right rotations, and they play really hard on defense. And that leads to success. And that's what they wanted to do in Charlotte. And that's not what they've been able to do. And I agree. I don't think we're being too hard on Clifford because as much of a train wreck as the Hornets organization has been, I think if you look at all of these coaches above him, I think each and every one of them would get more out of this roster than he currently is. Yeah, and we saw Clifford in Charlotte previously. We've seen him in Orlando. Sure, he's gotten maybe that Orlando team built around Nikola Vucevic to the seven seed. Is that impressive? I guess, given the talent deficit on that team. But, I mean, I don't know. He's just... This is his third head coaching stint, and I just... He hasn't blown me away in any facet of this. All right, so who's your next one? 29, I have Dwayne Casey. Former coach of the year. I have him 25th. Okay. so Which, it's not significantly higher than 29. So maybe I was a little hard on him, and I know you just said you had McMillan 29. Um, Casey, I, I feel like, you know, you've seen all the blown Eastern Conference championships when he was at Toronto. I really probably shouldn't knock a guy for not being able to beat LeBron James. I was getting ready to say, you can't call those blind. No, I agree. That's not, no, you, I they agree. weren't favored in any of those. No, and I recognize that in their rankings. I, I, I think he maximizes his teams. I think he like, maximizes that Toronto team. I'm not so sure about these Detroit teams. You don't think so? I, I feel like I feel like they're on, on a good good trajectory uh Duran's been getting more run now that it's clear he's the best big man um in the rotation they've been letting him get some more run um Cade being hurt but I thought him and Ivy together I thought they were doing a good job of just letting that mesh and you know they're a young team but I I guess maybe they're not getting the maximum out but uh is Bogdanovich even back for them I didn't know he was hurt so I or is he playing I'm not sure. I, I I haven't watched hardly any. Of yeah, Bojan's been. He's the leading scorer, averaging a 20 a game. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I just maybe they're not maximizing, but I just I feel like he gets a it's lot. It's hard to maximize a. Ba- it's hard to maximize a very young team. At least those Toronto teams were all like veteran guys, and you know it's a different type of 
maximizing with a young team who's actively so trying six, to lose. Right. They're six and 18 and Cade's yeah. been out. Um, I mean, what, what would you have Casey do? I suppose that would, that would move him up the ranks for you. Well, I think you pointed at the biggest one and that's Jalen Dorn. I really think he's, light years better than Isaiah Stewart, not only as a prospect, but as a current player. So now that he's starting to utilize that, you know, sure, he was late to the party, but now he's starting to recognize that. Um, It's hard to say now with Kate out what I would change differently, but I think you really need to see what you have in Jaden Ivey. And he's starting, if I'm not mistaken, he's been starting Corey Joseph. I mean... Let Jaden Ivey get the ball in his hands and see what he can do. And they he hasn't done that. I get it. You want to develop him as your two guard because when Kate is back, Ivy's going to be the off ball guy. But like, let him get comfortable with the NBA in the NBA with the ball in his hands. Well, as wrong as I was on Bogdanovich because he has played twenty three of the twenty four games that the Pistons have played. I think it's thinking of Bogdan Bogdanovich on the whole. I, I am. I, yeah. I had them mixed up. Um. But Ivy, he, he's played in 20 games. He started 19 of them, and he's averaging 32 minutes a game. So I feel like he's getting a lot of run. Mm-hmm. He's just – I think Keg going out, those two not getting to play off of each other, that, that's that been the disappointing thing for me. Um, but I'm just a little bit higher on Casey than you are. I think he, he does a decent job of getting a lot out of some of his players. It's just – I think it's really – it's hard to win with that Detroit roster. That's fair. So, so who do you have at 28? 28 is another guy I might I, – I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I have, where, who I have, and then you'll tell me what you have him, and then we'll go from there. So 28, I have Chauncey Billups. I have him right after Casey, so 26. 26? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Billups, the Trailblazers have been pretty good this year. I mean... Or no, he's 25 and Casey's 24. Okay, okay, no problem. So Billups, I don't know, the Trailblazers have been pretty good this year, and he's definitely, we keep talking about maximizing the roster, and I definitely think he's done that, and he's definitely utilizing Jeremy Grant in a different way than OKC did or than Denver did. He saw how Jeremy Grant thrived in Detroit with shooting more threes, slashing the basket more, being used a little bit more as a pick-and-roll ball handler from what I've watched. So I, I do think he's maximizing his guys. Dame has missed, I think, about 10 games, and they still are above 500, which given how much of a disaster last year was without Dame, maybe he's improved as a coach from last year. That That's definitely a possibility. But Depending on which thing you look at, they've either had the hardest or second-hardest strength of schedule. Um, at least as of uh, four days ago when I was looking. It was them or the Bulls, depending on which one you looked at. Um, So it's not even like they're getting getting the success against Cupcakes either. They've been playing against pretty good competition. But Jeremy Grant, I think, has – this might not be the best basketball he's ever played, but I think it's the perfect role for him that he's embracing. When he was in Denver, he wanted more. That's why he went to Detroit. And really, he's not quite number one, but I think he's found the perfect attitude for the perfect role that he's in, and he's thriving. Yep. And then um, Simons has been everything that Jordan Poole hasn't been in Golden State. Mm-hmm. And then Shane Sharp. Yep. How like there? He's what twenty minutes a game. I'm trying. 
he's only averaging eight points, but he he's a highlight reel. Yeah, he is. And defenses have to pay attention to him when he's on the court. He the gravity he already has as a rookie, they've done a lot with. And I think Billups has done better. I was really low on him last year. I think I had him second to last or maybe third from last. But I think he's shown uh, an ability to adapt. I think he's getting better at the job as he does it. And maybe not coaching, not being on on the bench at all. Maybe he's finally getting that over that curve. Yeah. No, again, there's definitely learning steps with being a first-year head coach. He's... I think a Hall of Fame point guard. If not, he will be. But uh, either way, um, definitely high level, all star point guard at the very least. And yeah, maybe he just needed a year to really get his feet under him. And last year, once Dame got season ending surgery and they were able to tank for a higher draft pick, trade CJ McCollum. And that CJ McCollum trade is kind of what set them up to get Jeremy Grant. So I, I think Jeremy Grant's a better fit. My. Again, this goes back to the front office portion of it. I always said they should have did like a CJ McCollum for Aaron Gordon swap because they needed the athleticism, the athleticism of like a defensive-minded type guy. Like that was always my dream for them. And they ended up swapping CJ McCollum using that player, that trade of player exception to get Jeremy Grains. So I know that goes back to the front office thing, but that's gonna help Billups look better as a coach because it's a piece that fits better than having two small guards together, Jim. It fit, you're right. It fits together better. He has better pieces, but him being able to use those pieces, I have to give him credit for that whenever I yeah, bashed no, him for, for doubting him last year. Um, so 27, who do you have at 27? 27 pains me to do this, but I have Steven Silas because I adore Steven Silas. But, I mean, he started freaking Bruno Fernando on the season open over Alperin Shangun. His job is to develop guys right now. And the Houston front office said, yes, we traded up to take Shangun at 16. We would have traded up to take him at six. That's how high we were on him. Okay, so then why are you starting Bruno Fernando and playing him and Usman Garuba in your closing lineup over Shangun? when your job is to develop Shangun as a building block from the team because the front office so high on him, they were going to use a top six pick on him. That that's my biggest thing. Um, I, I I said I adore him, and that's mostly because I loved what he did with the offense when he was in Dallas. How Dallas had a historically good offense with him basically as the offense coordinator, with just Luca, Jalen Brunson, and that was really all they had at the time. So, I mean, for him, I get those props, but just because he's a good assistant doesn't mean he's going to be a good head coach. So I recognize that, and I haven't loved what he's done with the Rockets. I was low on Shingun in the draft. Uh, I was quickly high on him. I I don't fault him for not playing Shingun whenever he at least he had a reason. He was uh, he didn't even mention Shingun, which was kind of the issue in the last press conference when he played uh, Bruno over Garuba. But his reason for wanting to play Bruno was he wanted to have that vertical threat, the vertical lob threat uh, on the floor and. If that's what you're looking for, you're not playing Shingun in that position. You're looking at him to be the offensive hub creator type guy. And that's a role he's excelled in. I had I had Silas 20th, which is admittedly higher than he should have been. I did mine in the in the tier type thing. And so I realistically, he probably should have been closer to where he's at, where you have him. I feel like there's a lot of potential just not 
the the growth i'm not seeing a lot of growth except for jabari smith jr on the defensive end um green continues to thrive but i don't i don't see anything system wise that that causes green to thrive i I feel like it's just his talent blossoming so to me i i'm like you i'm not super impressed with silas yet and uh i i hope he can turn it around because he was such a hot coaching candidate Mm -hmm. he came in i'm pretty sure he came in to work with harden and like he it was supposed to be this big reunion you know this great big opportunity and then he got thrown into this so hopefully he can turn it around but right now it hasn't been very impressive no i agree so okay 26 admittedly i haven't watched this team all that much so i could be too low i could be too high i really don't know wes on soul jr So, again, haven't watched that much Wizards basketball, but I, I don't know if it's Kristaps Porzingis just playing better because he's healthier or because Unsold is doing something with him that kind of unlocked a lot of what he did in New York. I, I, I don't know. So I, I just kind I of had Unsold at 17. Okay. So I had him quite a bit higher. I do think Porzingis is better mostly because he's healthy, but I love what Kuzma's been able to do. Yep, I, I agree. Kuzma's been doing a lot more playmaking than he ever has. Um, so is Beal. Beal's bought mm-hmm. in a lot more, especially on the defensive end. And I think I think getting Beal to buy in on the defensive end, I gave I gave Unseld credit for that. Because in Chicago, up until tonight, that's kind of been the issue the Bulls have had with Zach Levine is he he's not he hasn't seemed to buy in on the defensive end. And when you can get your offensive shooting, you know, shooting superstar to buy in on the defensive end and the team succeeds because of it and everything else, I just, I had to give him a lot of credit for that. So I, I did have him at 17. But, okay. Uh, I, I do think you're right that Porzingis, I don't think Unseld's doing anything for Porzingis. I think Porzingis is just back to the New York Knicks looking Porzingis. Good. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that's the answer then because he was a hell of a player and I, I hope he could get back to that level. Um, Okay, 25. I put Darvin Ham. Again, same thing we talked about with Silas. Very highly sought-after assistant coach that, you know, everyone was interviewing for years for head coaching jobs, and he might have had too much hype coming into him. But, I mean, I know Sam Vecini from the game from the Athletics Game Today podcast hates Darvin Ham as a coach. He says he's been doing an awful job, and... He lives in Australia, so he has, I feel like, more of an opportunity to watch every game because he's not getting the whole West Coast bump of being able to stay up and watch Lakers games. Either way, um, admittedly, as I said earlier, haven't watched all that much Lakers. One, because the product isn't that great, but two, because they're on the West Coast. So, again, I could be wrong. I know he's kind of revitalized Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has looked the best that he's ever has been in the Lakers uniform, even the year they won the championship. Um, and again, this could be the fact that Rob Palenka is an absolutely awful evaluator. Well, not, that's where that's where I'm not at not evaluator, it. but he can't put the pieces of the puzzle together properly. So maybe because and, of that, and the egos, yeah. I, I feel like Ham has done a, a really good job juggling the egos, especially c- considering how bad of a start the team got off to. Uh, having Westbrook come off the bench is nice. I had him ranked nineteenth. Okay, and a, a lot of that is just because, like you said, he, he I don't think he's done a good job, and it's uh, it was Vicini, right, that trashed him off 
on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, cause I remembered hearing it, but I couldn't remember who it was, but once you said it, I remember. And yeah, he probably, it sounds like he hasn't been doing a, a good job by people who are smarter than me, but I want to give him credit for, for managing the attitudes and just all the egos during that time. And being such a highly sought after coach, I, I feel like I just have to give him more time with more um, malleable players that are more open to maybe his systems. I feel like the Lakers are going to play how the Lakers are going to play, no matter what Ham wants to do, given the personnel they have. Yeah, no, that that's definitely fair. And again, as I said, I I think with everything with the front office aspect of it, so it's it's very hard for me to just take the coaches on their face with what they're given to work with. So again, maybe for that reason, I'm ranking some of these coaches too harshly. But, okay. Who do you have at 24? You're not going to like my answer to this. Billy Donovan. Well, I had him at 21. Okay, okay, good. Um, So yeah, I just looked at Billy Donovan's history as a coach. And... Aside from the OKC years when he had KD, Westbrook, like those teams together, I haven't, you know, and nothing's impressed me. He hasn't. We talk about maximizing those guys. I haven't seen it. Um, especially now with the Bulls, with Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic. And again, you could get into all that. I haven't loved the way Patrick Williams has developed. It seems like I would assume was taking a little bit of a step back. I just don't know how good of a coach he is. I mean, I, I know he did well with Westbrook and KD together in, when they're both in their primes, and a lot of coaches would have done that. He was a great college coach. He's a national championship winning coach. But I, in the NBA, I don't know. I think with the Bulls, him not having a point guard, with Lonzo being out as much as he has been, I think that's really hurt Donovan – it's offensive plans That's and they've fair. just relied they've relied on DeRozan and Zach to kind of isolate and play make and playmaking isn't their strong suit neither one of them are excellent playmakers and while DeRozan has turned into a good playmaker he's a methodical one he doesn't make split second playmaking decisions so it's it's really hard for the Bulls to score on the offensive end when Lonzo's not on the court which you know I don't think he's ever going to be back on the court at this point I, I, I had him ranked 21st. Uh, again, that's in the lower half of the league, which for me, I, I had a few guys ranked ahead of him based on potential. So to me, I, I feel like he's about an average coach, maybe a, a little less, but he doesn't do anything that super excites me as a Bulls coach either. Like uh, take him or leave him. Okay. So then 23, I have Jamal Mosley. Luka Doncic adored him when he was in Dallas. But, of course, Rick Carlisle, because, again, Rick Carlisle is a whole other story. Because Rick Carlisle, when he resigned or mutually agreed to step away from Dallas, endorsed Jason Kidd for the head coaching job rather than his assistant, Jamal Mosley, who we knew Luka loved. So we know Luka loved him. We know he probably would have gotten the Dallas job, but... For reasons beyond me, he didn't. And I love how he's developed Paolo. I love how he's developed Franz Wagner. And I love how he's developed Bobo. All three guys who have a little bit of handling and passing chops. 
So he's just kind of playing. Like, there was the one day they were playing the Sixers, and obviously because I'm a Sixers fan, I watched that game, where they didn't have a point guard. They started Gary Harris, and they started Franz Paolo, Wendell Carter, and Bobo. So it was like, it just a seamless offense where they don't really need to start a point guard. He's going to get a bunch of guys that know how to move the ball and make right decisions. And I just, I love the way that he flows the offense. And I think that's why Luca loved him so much. I had him at 18th because okay. like you said, I, I love how he built lineups and didn't worry about the size. Didn't worry about trying to make sure he had the right size players out there. He, he just went big, went long and, I think that's the future of the NBA. So I think Orlando is kind of getting ahead of the curve, a lot like Toronto is up north, having all of these, you know, six nine got plus guys who can play make a little bit, and not only can play make a little bit, but like I was saying with Rosen and Levine, Paolo is a quick decision maker. Franz is a quick decision maker on the offensive end. So I love what they're doing. I think mostly puts them in positions to succeed. So I, I had him all the way up at 18th, and I think he, when we do this again next year, I. I think he might be in the the high teens, if not even a little bit higher, if the Magic continue to impress as the season goes on. He reminds me of, like, it's a lofty comp of, like, a Nick Nurse in the aspect of, it's kind of the personnel that was given to him, but, okay, let's just throw out a bunch of length, not really play a point guard, and that's what Nick Nurse does when Fred Van Vliet's out. He'll play Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam at the point. He doesn't care. Um... So it's just, again, Nick Nurse kind of runs the starters into the ground way more than Jamal Mosey does, but that's kind of what's expected with the younger team. But, yeah, that that's sort of the trajectory I kind of see for him, and that's a hell of a coach. Um, 22, I put Mark Dagnall from OKC. Development from Shea Gilks Alexander is phenomenal. Um, I just... I. When I watch them, they're all bought into what they're doing. There's all these SGA trade rumors saying, oh, he wants to go to Toronto, or he wants out of OKC, blah, blah, blah. If there's any chance they're going to trade him, they're not trading him now. There's, there's no way in hell they are moving SGA. You but, have him 22nd. I have him 6th. Okay. I love Mark D. I, I can't imagine. You're you're a 76ers fan. Would you you really would rather have Doc Rivers as your head coach than Mark D? See, that's the thing. No, I, I, I can't I no. can't believe that. No. Just like I would okay. I would love to trade Billy Donovan for Mark D. I would love it. Okay, so here's my thing. A lot of these coaches that I put towards the bottom, you could tell are mostly coaches overseeing rebuilds. And like Let's, let's just say you just said you had Nate McMillan 28 or 29, whatever you had him. I had Nate McMillan 21. I have him over Mark D because I've seen Nate McMillan take a team to a conference finals. And again, it's not fair to guys like Mark D and Jamal Mosley that maybe I'm knocking them for overseeing a rebuild, but they haven't accomplished anything as coaches yet, if that makes sense. And that's fair. I'm, I'm the, sixth, the sixth ranking is probably too high, but for me – I've seen, like, like you said, you've seen. I've seen Nate McMillan luck his way to a conference finals. I don't think he's ever going to be a good enough head coach to get back there. I don't. I don't think they got there because of his head coaching. Uh, I've fair. seen Doc. I've seen Doc Rivers have the best talent 
and have great regular seasons and piss it away in the playoffs time and time again. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see that happen on my my hypothetical team. I do want to see what Mark D can do because I've watched him with a ragtag group in Oklahoma City turn chicken shit into chicken salad for you know for lack yeah. of a better term. With even when Shea's out, like we love Shea, but even when Shea's been out and they, they take him out regularly, they still are effective, and that's because Mark. That's because of what Dagnall I think does in in Oklahoma City. That's why I had him so high because I think regardless of the pieces you give him, he's going to maximize what you can do on that court, and he's going to get you wins. And you're right, we haven't seen him take a team from great to title contender, but. It, I have every confidence in the world that he could be great, if not even greater, just with just with what I've seen in Oklahoma City. And again, I don't have the stat off the top of my head, but I remember last year, pretty deep into the season, OKC had a winning record in games that SGA played in. Um, and I know SGA's played most of the games this year, so I can't imagine that being true. But they're all ten and thirteen right now. It's not like they're that far under five hundred. So when SGA plays. They'll play. They'll good. So yeah, you know what? Maybe I am a little bit too long, but no, six is ambitious because I'm just looking at my top eight or top nine, and there's no way he's better than any of those nine. But anyway, um, as I said, twenty one, I have Nate McMillan. Um, why do you have McMillan so low? I mean, I I know that I just mentioned the one conference finals appearance, and all of them that is times in Indiana, he really hasn't done much with it. I think he, I think he had, and and Trey Young not showing up to the game shows that maybe me hoping that he was going to get something from off ball Trey Young was is something that no coach is going to be able to get. So so that Trey Young might just be a lost cause when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, but in my head, I want him to get more of that. I see how little John Collins has, what kind of role he has given the talent he has. Um, I'm a big Onyeka Okongwu guy. I don't think he plays enough. I don't think he's being developed enough. There's the offense is just so uninspired. And you, you just saw Miami. Like, all you have to do is have a competent, uh, a, a smart defensive team to shut it down. You watched Miami just completely suffocate Trey Young in the playoffs. And he's not moving off ball now. So, so the same thing is going to happen in the playoffs this year. And I just I don't see anything from McMillan that makes me think, man, he's making the Hawks better. That's fair. Like there's, there is not one thing you can point to for me and say the Hawks are better because of their head coach. No, I think I agree. Okay. But man, he does, he does have that Eastern conference run. So, so he's got yeah, that like going Ben for Simmons him. passing up that dunk. Oh my God. Okay. I don't even get me started on that. Um, uh, so, number 20. so, okay. Number 20. This is a guy that I believe we had Luke Walden as a head coach this time last year, and we had him number 30. But I think this is the guy we both had at 29, and that's Jason Kidd. I mean, I, I still I have him at 28. Okay. You have him at 28 still? I just think the fact that he's got in the Mavs, who just don't have the adequate personnel defending so well last year. Again, this year I just don't think with Jalen Brunson gone, I just don't think the Mavs have – enough talent behind Luca, So I, I think that's the biggest problem. But I think with what he's been given, I I, I want to say, oh my God, he started JaVale McGee to start the year. But 
that was the GM, Nico Collins, or Nico Halson, whatever the hell his name is, um, the Nike exec. He basically signed JaVale to a three-year deal, said this guy, and then Jason Kidd said, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a starting center. So is that the front office telling him, okay, we're signing him, you have to start him? Or, I don't know, but Jason Kidd was pretty quick to pull the plug on it. So I'll give him some credit for that, I suppose. He does get some credit for that. JaVale was promised the starting spot, so I understand having to start him. He's only averaging 8.8 minutes a game. So so I don't hold that against him. What I do hold against him is, you're right, they don't have playmakers outside of Luka. But they also – Christian Wood can do some things. You can you can run some offense stuff around him. And I – especially – you heard Luka come out and say, man, it was nice having the offensive firepower whenever it was him and Wood. And then Kid pushed back on it. Well, we didn't get any stops. But in the NBA, if, if you can get your offense flowing, if you can keep putting the ball through the hoop and letting your defense get back and get set and getting some stops and get out in transition – Offense can lead to good defense, just like defense can lead to good offense. And I think I just with Kid, I, I'm I'm not super impressed with a lot of what he does because for me, it's I feel like Luca carries the team, and the players, yeah, they they did buy in on defense, but that's because what else are they doing? If they're out on the court, it's not like they're spending any energy on offense. Yeah. So I I just I'm not I'm and I. And I'm not high on Kid. I'm not high on the Mavericks front off. I'm, I've never been high on Kid as a coach. So for me, it's it's just you know on brand for me to have well, him 28. I also think it you have to give Kid some kind of testament to the fact that Giannis loved playing for him. Giannis loved him. I mean, who isn't Giannis going to love? Have you talked to the guy? I guess. Like Montrezl Harrell I mean, is the point like, is if you have a star player that they love you, I gave. Um, Jamal Mosley credit for that for Luca loving him. So I got to. I'm, I'm a hater, man. I'm I will shoot down any positivity you have. But okay. no, it, the, the Bucks they did buy in, and it it does seem like the players buy in. They do they do buy in to to kid for the most part. Um, we'll just see if Luca continues to stay bought in because uh, if he doesn't like the lineups and he keeps you know talking out loud to the media about it, and Dallas continues to fall, I think it. Kid will be the guy who goes next. Yep, I agree. So, so who okay. do you have at 19? This is a guy I was also pretty well on last year as well, and you were much higher on him than I was. That's J.B. Bickerstaff. The trend continues this year. I have him 11th. Okay. I have him 19. And again, he's coached so many bad teams throughout the years because a lot of the time he was the interim and he just took over for a guy who got fired, just like he did in Cleveland with Ty Lue. But, um, but yeah, I, I did give him a pretty significant bump because last year I think I had him like 27 or 28. This year I gave him a pretty significant bump just because of how much he got out of last year's Cavs team, which I just don't think was that talented. I know they had two guys, two theoretical All-Stars, and then the guy who should have won Rookie of the Year and Evan Mobley. But... I don't know. I, I've been much more impressed with just how good the defense has been with the two small guards and Mitchell and Garland's. And I know he has Mobley and Jaron Allen there and the three rotates between Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Karis Levert, whoever, it's Jetty Osman. But he's he is maximizing this roster. I know that is a better roster than last year because now they added Donovan Mitchell. But Cleveland's good, man. I mean, they're really good. 
All right, and Garland missed time yep. with the eye injury early in the season. And it's taken time for them to get acclimated on the court because if you looked at their on-off numbers, I don't know if it's still the case, but they're for a, a good – the first quarter of the season – when all four of them were on, when Garland and Mitchell were on the court together, they were actually getting outscored. So they were getting adjusted, but to put in perspective how good the Cleveland team has been this year, they're second in, in a average scoring margin at plus 7.1. Like they're, they're one of the best teams in the league. I think right now that's just kind of in the shadows because they're still kind of bringing it together. But I think come playoff time, they're going to be seen as a, a legit contender. It's going to be the Bucks, it's going to be the Celtics, and it's going to be the Cavaliers. And so, so I had Bickerstaff 11th. I think he gets the most out of that team. He does a good job of having two non-shooters on the court and Okoro and uh, Allen and still finding ways to have the right spacing and to give those guys room to work. No, I agree with that. I, I forgot Okoro when I was mentioning all the wings that I had. And you said no. He's easy to forget. It's not like Evan Mobley is a shooter either. So he's playing a lot of times with three non-shooters on the course. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that one. Yeah. So, okay. My number 18. Again, this just seems like a guy you would like a lot. So I don't know where you have him, but 18th have Willie Green. I just remember twelfth. Yeah, okay. I just remember last year how high you were. We did it like literally a few weeks after the T Wolves hired Chris Finch. We did our episode and you were like, Oh, Chris Finch, I have him number eleven, and I had him like twenty four, twenty five. I'm like, this guy's never coached before. Like, I don't know what he's capable of. But hold on. Willie Green, um, Pelicans, I forget. They started what, like three and eleven last year. He ended up getting them in the playoffs. At 36 and 46, giving Cleveland, not Cleveland, giving Phoenix a run to six games. And now the what? They're the two seed in the West this year. Sure, it has a lot to do with the Pelicans' roster makeup with how deep they are and how well they've drafted and how well they've developed. But Willie Green does a lot of good things. I mean, I love the point Zion experiments. I love they same thing you just said with Cleveland. They don't have a lot of spacing with how they have Balance Eunice and Zion. It's not like Ingram's a lights out shooter. But they get the most out of it on offense and defense. So I, I really like they stag- I like how he staggers Herb Jones with Trey Murphy. I keep wanting to call him Troy Murphy from the old Golden State player. But Trey Murphy, Jose Alvarado, we saw drop 38 points today. I just love how he's developing these guys while competing. And by playing them, letting them play through their mistakes and still winning games is the best way to develop them. And it's just working phenomenally. I think he does an excellent job of getting all of those guys involved, getting them playing time and getting them meaningful minutes because you mentioned the front office did a great job of building that team out. But part of having such a deep team is finding ways to keep all of those guys playing and engaged and feeling like they, they matter on the team. And I, I think green does an excellent job of just bringing the team together on top of being creative enough to, like you said, like you said, let point Zion be a thing to, let the team maximize itself and just kind of kind of steer the ship along with it. No, that, that's definitely fair. And I, I'm excited for that team a lot. I remember the first few weeks of the season on the mismatch podcast, Kevin O'Connor was like, Oh, the Pelicans are a total contender. And I wouldn't go that far yet, but they're a hell of a lot of they're this year's version of what Memphis was last year. I feel like, except they yep, might be better. I, I love that. 
Yep. Okay. Number 17. I put Will Holdy. Honestly, I'm I'm not sure very much of what he did as an assistant under Udoka and all these years in Boston. But I love what he's done with Utah. I love what he's done with Larry Markinen. I love, you know, just in general that we're talking about maximizing teams, and that's been the big theme of this episode. Can you think of anybody who's maximized their team and their talent more than what Will Hardy has with Utah this year? Because I can't. I mean, no, not really. Not unless you want to count Missoula in Boston, considering the. But the look at the talent the Missoula best, has. Right. The, right. And that's only saying they have the best offense ever. It's like 122 uh, mm. offensive rating per 100, but just off the charts. But no, I think Hardy has maximized better than anyone else. And that's why I had him 15th on my rankings. Okay. So you had him a few spots higher than I did. Yeah, I think he, he's right in that range to where he might jump what up into the, the 10 to 8 range next year if Utah can find a way. If he can get this Utah team even into the play-in, that, that's an amazing accomplishment. And you know this. Chicago is in the best of player development. I just talked about that with Patrick Williams and Io. But Markinen, you know, he had that great rookie year. And then his development staggered a little bit, ended up moving to Cleveland. Cleveland was playing this weird three big lineup, which Utah is still kind of doing with Jared Vanderbilt, Kelly Olenek, and Markinen, but Utah's just been able to unlock him in a way that Cleveland wasn't able to, and Chicago... Olenek can space the floor. Mobley and Allen did not. Yeah. If you give if you give Laurie space to work and and the, the room to dribble and use his handle, which he did not have in Chicago, he's shown that he can be effective. And that's what he's showing in Utah, I think. And I, I love seeing him thrive. I, I couldn't be happier for him. Um, all right, so who do you have at 16? 16 out of Jock Vaughn. Hey, we got our first overlap. Okay, awesome. Um, can't say I totally love what he does as a coach, but the fact that he's coached KD and Kyrie multiple times at this point – Shows that they have to like him. I mean, the counter-argument to that is, oh, well, as soon as I fired Steve Nash, they were going to bring in Udoka and opted not to. But when they fired Atkinson, Jacques Vaughn took over. And now when they fired Nash, Jacques Vaughn took over. And clearly, that locker room, it takes a special kind of coach to be able to manage the Eagles, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. Three divas. Yeah, he's so far he has. So because of that, he's shown that he was able to do it. Obviously, they didn't have Ben Simmons at the time when they got at was Harden on the team when they fell to Atkinson. I don't believe no, so. he wasn't. Because K that was a year KD was yeah. out with his torn Achilles. Right. And and Vaughn just getting them to buy in on the defensive end and letting yeah. KD kind of run the offensive end and waiting on the shooters to get back and get healthy. It's 16 is perfect for him, I feel like, because it's it's almost right in the middle. Yep. And he is just like the perfectly average coach who can also manage the egos. Yep, no, I, I agree. So that, I, I think, agreed. 16 is perfect spot for him. 15, I put Chris Finch. So let me ask you, you had Chris Finch very high last year after only a couple weeks of him coaching Minnesota. Where do you have him now? I have him 13th. Okay. Still still very high. And I think there is a lot 
of backstage stuff to manage in Minnesota. I think there is a lot of egos. I think there is a lot of hustle, you know, um, maybe not hostile. Hostility is probably the wrong word. Um, I think there's a lot to deal with on top of the stuff on the court. And I think Finch has done a pretty good job of keeping the ship kind of right. Because it seems like every other week, Cat's saying something or Ant's saying something or Rudy's trying to say something and everybody's ignoring Rudy because nobody respects Rudy as a leader. And I feel like as bad as Minnesota started, Finch didn't let the team blow up and now they've gotten on a run as they've started to gel. No, that's that's fair. Um, that's exactly everything. Like, have, have you seen the clips of Anthony Edwards standing with his hands on his hips? No. So there, there have been multiple plays this year where Ant will not be involved in the play. And so he's behind the three-point line, stretching the three-point line. But he literally just stands, knees locked, so he's not a threat to cut, with his hands on his hips, um, just completely checked out of the game. So there, there's obviously attitude things going on yeah. behind the scenes in Minnesota. And I think to be able to keep them on the rails – how given how volatile those egos are, I, I think he deserves some credit for that, even if his on-the-floor stuff isn't as inspiring as it was last year. But Minnesota's not winning. So it's like, sure, he's managing the egos, but like if they're not winning, they're only, he's going to be able to... He, uh, if they're not winning, he's only going to be able to manage the egos for so long. That's what worries me. Well, they had a nice little winning streak once... Uh, Cat once Cat went out, wasn't it like a five game winning streak they just had? When Cat got out, not that I'm aware of. They're six and four in their last ten. Okay. Um, they're eleven and twelve. They're only one game out of the play. They're only a half game out of the play in tournament. Um, and given how terrible the start was to the season, I think being right there in the play in in the West with how deep the West is. I think that's fine for them, especially now that Ant and Rudy are starting to get some chemistry. Um, there was that awkward lob they had the other night, but it, it was it was a lob. And if you can get Ant to buy in and to not be standing around with his hands on his hips, I think that's a good thing. And Cat going out, there's only one ball. And when you have Cat and you have D'Lo and you have Ant, along with Rudy, Ant might not be getting as many opportunities as he was looking for. And I think him getting more opportunities, he's going to be more engaged. And a more engaged Anthony Edwards is better for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number I just, I just really hope he's uh I really hope he's on the team or Finch is coaching the team next year when we do this. Uh that was 15. So who do you have 14? 14 half Tibbs. I have him 26th. Okay. And again, I, I know Tibbs is a very acquired taste. Uh, I think I ultimately have him this high because I know whoever he coaches is most likely going to be bought in. But you know he's going to overplay his starters. You know that he's going to be defensive-minded and probably run those players into the ground on defense to the point where it affects the offense. And you know he's not going to play any sort of young guys. So that, that's the flaws with him, and I recognize that when I rank him as high. But and I don't even I don't even know that I buy into his defensive system given how the NBA plays 
today. No, uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, like I, I, just, I don't want him anywhere near. I don't want him anywhere near my team. As well, someone who has had Thibs as his coach of his favorite team and loved it at the time, like in the moment we were we were saying you got to play the other guys more, but. I, I feel like he's just – I feel like his time has just passed. And I'm that way with a few guys that you haven't named yet. Um, I'm sure they'll be coming up soon. But with Thibs, I, I'm just I'm just out on Thibs as a head coach. No, that's fair. But, again, we're talking about managing egos. Jimmy Butler loved him. And Jimmy Butler's before – even in Miami, has had a little bit of troubles. But Jimmy Butler loved Thibs. Um, there's no really superstar or even star in New York that I could really – compare to Jimmy Butler or anything like that, but every everyone loves him. Everyone who plays for him loves him. Yeah. Uh, he Derek Shouldn't that weigh something? Shouldn't that mean something? I mean that's why I had him 26th and not 28th. Okay. Okay. Number 13, I know you're super low on and we already talked about him a little bit. That's Doc Rivers. You know he's gonna win Vegas season games. You know he's good at managing egos with Embiid and James Harden and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Those a lot of those guys are big egos. The fact that he's able to, you know, get those guys to buy in what he's doing, even though you know you're probably gonna choke in the playoffs, is impressive. And I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm I mean I, I've got him. I've got him 27th. Okay, I'm, maybe I'm hopeful because I'm a Sixers fan, and this is probably his last shot. Unless you go to the conference finals, he's probably gone. But yes, he did play DeAndre Jordan all the second half of last year after we signed him in the buyout market. But he did make the adjustment and played Paul Reed as the backup five, which every Philly fan, every Sixers fan in the world wanted out of him. He did make the adjust. He made it late, but he did make it by the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I'm just. I'm hoping he's learning. I, I am. But, you know, sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right. And I just, I, I'm not trying to teach old dogs new tricks. So that's why, that's why I had him 27th. I, I think he's a fine regular season coach. Um, like, I think he would have been great on the Lakers this year. I know they were trying to work something out before the season, if I remember correctly. He would have been great managing that that train wreck over there. But for me, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm out on on. Rivers He's gotten at the same. Too. Like if we tiered this, him and Tibbs definitely would have been in the same tier. Yeah, they were. They were. I did tier this, and they were in the same tier. Okay. For me. Okay. Number twelve, Mike Brown. I love it. I love him. Um, obviously, Coach LeBron James, Coach Kobe Bryant, definitely could manage an ego. Ran that Golden State defense for four different championships. And now he is Sacramento lighting the beam with this amazing offense where he's unlocked Kevin Herter and De'Aaron Fox is playing at a all-star level, the best he's ever played. And Sabonis is playing. Like, he's just, everything's clicking with Sacramento right now. And he wasn't, he was a good coach with Cleveland and the Lakers, but he wasn't like a world beater. I, I think all those years in Golden State under Steve Kerr, being that defensive coordinator, I, I, I definitely think that he's learned things from Steve Kerr that I took away on offense while still getting his guys to buy in defensively. You nailed this. I missed this. Um, I should have had him higher. 
I had him 22nd. Again, I was doing it in tiers. And because of the tier thing I had in my head, I, I just lowered him farther than I should have. Everything you said was right. He has these guys buying in. He is quick to call timeouts to make adjustments when he sees the, the guys doing the wrong things on the court. He will just – it can be 15 seconds into the game. They make the wrong rotation. He'll call a timeout, walk onto the court, and show them what they're supposed to be doing. You having him at 12, um, it's probably a little high for my blood. I'd probably still keep him in that 14, 16 range. But me having him at 22 is just indefensible. Well, uh, in I the do moment, think, indefensible. I do think because had Doc Rivers, 13 or 14, the guys after him, I was like, I can't put this guy lower than Doc Rivers and Tibbs. So that's why I ended up ultimately putting him 12. Um, okay. Number 11, Joe Mazzola. Am I too low? I mean, I have him at 14. Okay, so maybe not. Um, Again, rookie head coach took over for Udoka, but... This thing could have just went sour so quickly with the Udoka saga, everything going on around that team at the time. And he just, he did not let it happen. He has him, as you said, playing a historically good offense with a pretty elite defense with Jason Tatum. Probably if the season ended today, Jason Tatum would be MVP. Marcus Smart, he's unlocked a whole new side of playmaking for him which Marcus Mott's averaging almost eight assists a game, which I never would have believed. This is all without Tom Lord. Brogdon has been and locked the team even more on the offensive side. Yeah, Um, and Tom Lord hasn't played a minute yet, and he's our best defender. Right, The team team has been built perfectly. Tatum has taken the leap, and Joe Missoula has just stepped in and continued right where Odoka Odoka left off. And Um, as I said, we're we're not stressing it enough. This thing could have went sour so quickly with, oh my God, Gallinari tours ACL and then Udoka was sexually harassing staff. And, right, right. It could, right. Like, it could, it it could have, have went south. Yeah. But I, I do. And he kept give it. He's Boston, a glue that kept it together. Him and that front office. Brad, Brad Stevens being the coach and then the GM. Um, I think that probably helps in Boston. Um, they did lose Hardy to Utah, but. They seem to have had a nice little core of coaches there. Um, so I, I probably penalized Missoula a little bit for that. But, again, it's his first year. I didn't want to put him up too high, especially given it's it's just him keeping the train on the tracks as it's speeding up. I just don't know how much that has to do with him as a coach or if that's just the players he's gotten. Um, and Like with Brogdon, along with just Tatum getting better, Brown getting better. And he's just along for the ride. But I, I do think he's putting them in positions to succeed. So I had him 14th. He's an above average coach for sure. And probably working his way up. Number 10, I have Rick Carlisle. Might be too low. But my biggest thing with him is that I think he's a good coach. But clearly he had a falling out with Luca. Clearly he couldn't keep Luca and Porzingis from butting heads. I just don't know how good of a job he's managing egos. And I think luckily for him, Halliburton is such a humble kid that he's not going to have that same issue that he had with Luca. And I think for that reason, that's why Indiana's overachieving right now because he's a good coach and because there's no big egos that he has to manage. I'm 23rd. Okay. I, I was low on him last year. Uh, 
Hasn't won a playoff series in like 12 years. Yeah. You're just I I think he's a I think he's showing in Indiana that he is a good basketball coach. Like any team you give him, he's going to maximize that team. He's going to run good things. But like you said, he doesn't he doesn't mesh with the players well. He has to he has to be given the right tempered players. He won't play young guys unless he's forced to play young guys. I just to me he's he's a re, he's a relic of the past in terms of coaches. To me, as that's just that's just how I feel whenever I watch him. I'm just I'm low on Carlisle. Uh, so to me, no, he wasn't anywhere near my top ten in terms of coaches. But again, I I look at things a lot differently than you do whenever we were going for guys on the sidelines. I just think a guy who I know is going to win me regular season games get me to the promised land, and I trust my players to go from there. I think that's why I have Carlisle and a guy like Doc Rivers so much higher than you do. And maybe, see, with Car- maybe with that's Carlisle, wrong. my worry is, do I want to bring in a head coach that I don't think can, that I'm not sure can win a win a win a playoff series and is a coin flip of away from pissing off my best player? No, like you're it's fifty right. fifty. Is he go- like if I have a great player and I bring Carlisle in, is he going to rub my my great player the wrong way? No. That's fair. I mean, even if I bumped him down, I'd put him behind Missoula and Mike Brown, but I'm not putting him behind like Doc Rivers and Tibbs. So, and oh, again, I, those I, are guys, I know. So, those are guys that are 13, 14. Maybe I could bump like a Will Hardy or Willie Green ahead of Doc Rivers and Tibbs, but even so, I think Rick Carlisle is at least what you said with um, Missoula. Like, he's definitely, or with Mike Brown, whoever we just talked about, he's definitely at least a top. 15 coach, a league average coach in the league. So for that, I'll disagree with you having him 23rd. Um, number nine, I put Michael Malone. What do you have him at? I had him fifth. Okay. Okay. I mean, obviously he has Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP, so he's going to be able to do great things with him. But the fact that he still had them competing with Jamal Murray out, with Michael Porter Jr. out, He's kind of unlocked a different side of Aaron Gordon than we've seen in Orlando. Just, like, solid head coach. I I love that Sacramento had all these guys, and then they had him, they had Dave Yeager, and then they just just kept letting them go. And while they ended up getting to Mike Brown, it was definitely a process to get there. So, I I don't know. I I like what Michael Malone's done. Yeah, I, I think he maximizes that team. He does have Jokic, but like you said, last year he didn't have Murray, didn't have Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic won the MVP. Right now, uh, are they tied for first in the West right now? I think they're tied for second. Or tied for second? Or second. Okay. I, they're, I they're think right they were tied with second when New Orleans and New Orleans just beat them, so maybe the third now. But it's all You're like right. Fun. You're right, they're yeah. third. Uh, but they're a title contender for me. I think they I agree. come playoff time. I think they are a legit title contender, and a lot of that has to go with has to do with Malone and what he's able, the rotations he had, you know, the way he puts those guys in positions to succeed. The fact he lets Bones Highland have an insanely high usage rate, even though he he's such a young guy. I I just I love what Malone does. I that's why I had him so high. I I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Yeah, and in today's NBA, it's so tough to build around a big man to be successful. And the Sixers still haven't figured this out yet. Maybe they will now that James Harden looks at James Harden again and 
he's returning tomorrow and Tyrese Maxey will be back. But Denver's kind of figured it out. Like, okay, this is how we build around a big man and still a title. I don't think Embiid has the playmaking for it. I I think, I think, yeah, if you're comparing to Jokic, I think, I think in today's game, if you're trying to build your offense around a big man, he has to be a great playmaker. Just a single offense. Like, I, I think Philly's offense with Harden being the playmaking guy and Embiid being the big, I think that can be a, an excellent offense. But I don't think you can have a heliocentric offense with a big man if they aren't a great playmaker. I don't think you can have any heliocentric offense unless they're a great playmaker. Okay. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have to see. So, if Mike Michael Malone was in Philly, you would you like him as much then? Oh no! Do you think it's because he is Jokic, which is why you're so high on? Oh no, I, I would like him as much. I thought I think he did a great job with Demarcus Cousins mm-hmm. before. I, I think he's shown. But Demarcus that he, Cousins was a better playmaker than Embiid too. I mean, better, but not a. Not not he's not Jokic, obviously, but I don't right, know. Embiid improved his playmaking this year. I feel like, but Harden and Maxi have both missed time, so he's it's. Right, and, and kind Jokic, of by necessity. Is, Jokic might be the best passer ever. So yep. compare like. That's a that's a high bar. I but no, I think Malone would would succeed and like he would succeed with Harden and Maxi because I don't think you need Embiid to be the heliocentric hub of the offense because I think that kind of takes away from him on the defensive end. I want to see him more active on the defensive end, and if that means his usage has to go down five percent on the offensive end, I think a coach like Malone could do that. Whereas I think a coach like Doc Rivers is just going to continue to lean on Embiid's offense and. The numbers might look good. He looks involved, but he's crashing to the floor every other play and the other team's getting a four on five fast break. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Um, Number eight. This might be a lifetime achievement award at this point, but Greg Popovich. I had him 10 and I literally, I got to nine and I was like, I got to put pop. So I I get it. It might be a legacy thing, but I just, how can you, we we keep talking. You keep talking about like Rick Carlisle and Doc Rivers and Tibbs, how like they're not adjusted to today's modern NBA. And the same could be said for Popovich. I mean, what he's done for years with Ginobili and Parker and Tim Duncan and Kawhi and all these other great teams that he's had isn't going to work in today's NBA if he had a competitor, I feel like. So, but he's great. He might be the best coach ever. So I'm I'm not going to dock him any lower than what we have him. I mean, they, they're they a top 10 three-point attempts team in the league. They shoot the 10th Which three. is drastically different with what he's done the last few years. Right. So, never- so for me, I, I think he's I think he's doing a good job of developing these players for the neck, for how the game is. I think it's just shown they've, they've taken all of the talent with DeJounte Murray going to Atlanta. It's now um, the least talented roster, I think, in the league mm-hmm. for me. And – they might not be winning games, but they, they they're in the right spots. They they come prepared. They they got off to a little bit of a hot start at the beginning of the year. And I think that has to do with Pop and his leadership and just all of that. So for me, I I think Pop has the worst roster in the league this year, and so I I still have him in my top ten. Now, so do I. Okay, number seven, Taylor Jenkins. I think I still might be too low. We seven? have our second overlap. Okay, so maybe I don't have him too low, but. Hey, I mean, you and I know ball, but we ain't no experts either. Um, Taylor Jenkins. Memphis, I just, I was so impressed with what they did last year with 
they were what 19 and two with games John Moran missed last year. Like it was just unheard of what he did with them. And and then Jaron Jackson Jr. was out at the beginning of this year, and yep. it still continued to roll. He, they have a great roster, yes. But Jenkins again, he's the guy who puts all of them in place. He has the rotation, so everybody gets a chance to be in their roles and to contribute. I I just I I thought Memphis was going to to take a step back. I thought last year was like their big breakout year, and I. I I thought they were going to be the Atlanta Hawks of this year where they, they had their big run and then they kind of took a step back. But instead they've just leaped forward. Um, Desmond Bain is just, he's been, been missing time and Desmond Bain's been out the last two weeks right. and they're still winning. Right. And, but before that he was just, he's yep. been up another level and I, the way Jenkins has, has built this culture has just kind of cult, cultivated all of this. I, I love everything about the Memphis squad. Yeah. And Again, I know they were they were kind of coined as the deepest team in the league the last few years, but like I know you said those they're a talented roster. They're not number two seed in the West type talented, in my opinion. At least not last year. Maybe this year with Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain both taking a leap and John Morant being John Morant. Now you could see Lisa it. But last year, I know Golden State doesn't really worry about the regular season. Golden State was her um Denver was hurt. The Clippers were hurt. I think last year was just an anomaly with yeah, I guess. injuries. But Ian uh, Silver, so second best record in the NBA. Right. Who do you have at six? Steve Kerr. I had him eighth. Okay. So, I mean, four championships. The biggest worry for me is that he can't seem to ever find the offense and get the offense right when Steph Curry isn't playing or on the bench. But I think that could just be a testament to how great Steph Curry is. Sure, even when Steph is out, he plays Jordan Poole at the points, and they're still like the offense isn't nearly as great as it is. But Steph Curry is Steph Curry, so like I'm not going to knock the coach because of that. Right, I had him eighth, and it's probably a little too low. But the Wiseman tax, Wiseman is just, and the other young guys too. But I, I feel like Wiseman has just drugged this team down. The second unit being as bad as it has, and been. he's pulled him from the rotation uh, since he made those adjustments. Right, right. He he's made the adjustments, but just to see how bad that team was, um, other than the starting unit, I I just I knocked him back a couple spots. Was I couldn't help it. I don't but, know. I mean, eighth, he's still a top ten guy. We saw. How not how bad, but we saw the Warriors under Mark Jackson. Steve Kerr immediately gets there. They win a championship that year. Draymond, great developments. Clay Thompson, great developments. Steph Curry, first ever anonymous MVP, great developments. Then they develop Jordan Poole. Then they develop Kevon Looney. I mean I'm I'm not a big Mark Jackson fan, but he when he was the coach, he even said Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were the best shooting backcourt he'd ever seen. And this was before. They won the chance. Like people thought he was crazy saying these things back then. And now it's just kind of, you know, common. You know, we just know that to be a fact. But I think Kerr was put was given a Ferrari race car and has done an excellent job of driving it. I don't think there is I don't think there has been a better star since Tim Duncan with Steph Curry in terms of being amicable. He like how many how many stars are gonna be okay with Kevin Durant coming in and taking the spotlight? Like he did. Yeah. I, I, and I think Curtis, great things. I think he's a great coach, but I also think he's been given a great environment. And I just knocked him a little bit because now that, now that the, the, the cracks in the armor are showing, 
with the team getting older, it's it's still those older guys that are having to lean on instead of, um, the, you know, the bench unit. But that, that's a lot of the personnel issue because they're paying those three so much money. And Wiggins right, and that, paying so much money. Like, he made Andrew right, Wiggins. Pool not I know, coming through. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I mean the, that's the, the big last one for me si- with, with the, the last pool. The last six seasons, Clay Thompson has been healthy. They've made the finals and won four of them. Yeah, but I, a lot of that I chalk up to Steph Curry. Okay. I think, I think that, Steph that's Curry a is a top argument. 10 player of all time. I, yeah, I, I, I severely overrate Steph Curry compared to a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Curry is an amazing coach. I think he's going to be a top 10 coach forever in perpetuity like like Popovich. He was already ranked in the top 15 when they did the 15 greatest coaches. He was already in there. And that was before he won the fourth rank. So, yeah, I don't think that's too far-fetched. Okay, number five, I put Nick Nurse. I had him three. Okay. So, my biggest pet peeve with Nick Nurse is he just plays his starters so freaking much. Uh, At least he did last year. This year, he doesn't seem to be doing it as much. But when you're playing your starters, all four or all five of them, 39 minutes a game... That's not sustainable. And he did that for the majority of last year. So Fred VanVleet and OG are playing 36 minutes still. Pascal's playing 34. And then Scotty's at 32. So they're still playing a good, a very high number of minutes. Yeah, I don't know. That's my biggest thing with him. But everything he does with overachieving, he won 48 games with them last year with a team that, quite frankly, wasn't that good. Um, Talent-wise, I mean, I mean, Toronto system, just you know, they're like the poor man's version of Miami that you just know they're going to maximize what they do because of their coach. And we talked about earlier with, I forget, with, co- with obviously we talk about every coach almost at this point, but you said somebody, oh, well, I, it was McMillan. They're not winning because of what he's scheming up. I think Toronto wins additional games that they wouldn't win with another coach because of how good Nick Nurse is. Yeah, I agree. That's I I have him I have him third a little bit higher than you. I think he's probably the second best defensive coach in the league for me behind Spolstra. Uh I love what he does. I love what and a lot of it is the roster they build in Toronto. I wish he would get a little more creative on the offensive end. Um that's my big knock for Nurse, but and the minutes. But other than that, I think he I think the the things he does, especially on the defensive end, the way he weaponizes those guys, it's just I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, number four, Mike Budenholzer. I had him ninth. Okay. Um, here's my thing. Budenholzer obviously just got the ring. He outcoached Spolstra when they swept the Heat in 19 and 20. He then in 2021 outcoached Monty Williams to win a championship. That means something to me. I mean, I don't think he outcoached either of those guys. I think Giannis outplayed what do you mean he, he swept Miami. What do you mean he didn't outcoach him? You see, yeah, a talent deficit? yeah, because the, the buck. Yeah, I think it was a talent deficit. I, okay, I didn't watch those games and think, man, the Bucks and the Heat they were they were an even matchup. But that that Bud he really got the better of Spolstra in this one. Okay. Okay. I, I think um, he's a. I think he's a really good coach. I think I again. I have him ninth. I think he's a top ten coach. I think he's a, 
Um, but so do you have the standings put up? I think he's um I do I do actually. I think he I think he was a little late to the party on a lot of defensive things, but they've been really inspired with uh Brooke Lopez. He's a uh, defensive player of the year. They have the guys, right they have the top two guys who projected um in defensive player of the year odds in Vegas. They have Giannis they're and Brooke and, Lopez. They're 16 and 6 right now. And how many games did Middleton play? Two? He just came back. They're 16 and 6 with no Chris Middleton. Giannis has missed a handful of games. Holiday missed a handful of games. Brooke Lopez coming off major back surgery where he only played in a couple games last year. And they're 16 and 6. What more does he he won the championship? I just don't know what more he has to prove that he's a top five coach in the league. I You're mean, getting me hyper, Trey. He has Giannis. I'm sorry. He has right. he has he has an amazing he has an amazing team that I think is finally cleaning up. They like they've been they've been a team that by design gave up three point shots. As as a design, they they wanted to give up open three point shots, uh, and they're just now going away from that. For me, it's hard for me to make put a guy top five when that was your philosophy. I don't know. I mean, he won a championship with either Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday as a second player. How many coaches could say they did that? And at least think, in modern, I, I think a lot of people could, especially if you give them Giannis as their best player. I I think. <sighs> Giannis is a free. I I'm really high on Middleton. I think he's I think he's a a much better player than most people seem to, especially given your uh, the way you were just like Chris Middleton, second best player. No, I'm not saying, but I'm saying it. You there's a trend that you see. No, no, no knock on Chris Middleton, and I guarantee you, if you I, I mean, say I think, Drew I think, number three. I think if you give Mike Malone that roster, he wins the title. I think if you give Taylor Jenkins that. That roster, he can probably win a title with it. Um, Bickerstaff, I think, I think could win a title with it. I had him ranked behind him, but I think Bickerstaff could. Uh, there's a lot of guys who I think, if given that roster, could win a title because I think Giannis is that good. I think Middleton's that good. I think Drew Holiday is extremely underrated. Drew Holiday's uh, phenomenal. He might be the most underrated player in NBA history. I, so yeah, I, you say that, and I say he won one title with with those guys. Great accomplishment. He's a top 10 coach. Okay. Number three. Who do you you have three? I have a coach who is the best X and O and in-game adjustment coach in the league. The Bill Belichick of the NBA. Ty Lue. My issue with My issue with Ty Lue is, and again, Nobody listened to the NBA goal episode back in what was it, 2019 or 2020, when Sixers fired Brett Brown and they were about to hire Ty Lue. The choice were Ty Lue or Mike D'Antoni. And I said, Yeah, I'll take Ty Lue over D'Antoni. And then Doc Rivers became available. And that night I did an emergency pod with my fiance and said, Well, I would love Ty Lue, but if we get Doc Rivers. Shoot me in the face. I mean, I am such an idiot, and I admit that, that I wanted Doc Rivers over Ty Lue. I, the, I was wrong, and I will admit that. The only thing that Ty Lue leaves to be desired is it seems like the Clippers are running their, their offense as if they still have star players, even though their star players are out. And part of that can be you just want these guys to be running the system that they're going to be running when Kawhi and Paul George are back, and it's playoff time. 
No, I that, think that, the- that could be the big knock, I think, is from what I've heard. And I, I think I agree with Ty Lu. I would rather just keep the system the same that you expect to use to contend for a title. I think the other issue is the fact that, yes, he makes the adjustments. As I say, he's the best X nose guy in the game. But sometimes he's a bit late. Like last year, was it, or not last year, a few years ago, when they were playing Utah and they had to go small against Gobert. That was an easy adjustment to make, but it took him, I think, until game three to make it. So, like, yes, he makes the right adjustments and always seems to figure it out, but he's always a little bit late to it. That That's my one knock on him. And well, additional what you said. I was going to say, hopefully he's catching up. But, again, the best X's and O's guy in, in game that we think we've seen um, – I had him second for a reason. Just, I think he's an absolute top tier coach in the league. Uh, I agree. So, who do you have two? Monty Williams. I had him four. Okay. Um, we've definitely, you know, seen players drastically improve. Like, look at SGA this year, for example. I mean, he's significantly got better. And I, I say that because Monty Williams, same thing. When he was coaching for the Pelicans, he was okay. I mean, he was anything great. But he's clearly learned. Well, Monty Williams was, he had the one year on the Sixers bench behind Red Brown. I forget where he went after that. Well, he went straight to Phoenix after that. I forget where he was before that. But he's clearly learned and became a phenomenal coach as a result of that. And Phoenix was another team that seemed to have a lot of turmoil coming into the season. And they've just ridden that turmoil to the best record in the West at 16-7. and Again, with Chris Paul missing at least half the year so far. Yeah, I think I think he is one a top tier coach in the league, just an absolute game changer for the Suns. And again, I had him fourth. Spolstra, Lou, Nurse, Monty, they're they're all right there for me. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's there's not enough you can say about the leadership from Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton, a guy that a lot of us thought might just check out given how everything went with the playoffs last year and Monty and him not talking. I think he's playing some of the best basketball he's ever played. He's playing phenomenal defensively. And that was the biggest thing about him as a prospect was that he was never going to be an elite rim protector. And Devin Booker for years, people said he was a bad team, empty stats guy. Boy, is he put that to bed under Monty Williams. I mean, yeah. Playing like an MVP. Is it that far fetched to say Devin Booker's top five player in the NBA right now? Yes, Maybe. because defense matters, but yeah, okay. I think he's a top five MVP candidate. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, and again, I'm not saying there's so many good players in the NBA right now. I'm not saying Devin Booker's top five player. I'm just saying he's made Devin Booker that good. Yeah, I did not mean that as a shot. There, no, no, I, I get it. In this league is just so good, which makes our number one guy so special because third, I know that there's a lot of talent. The third guy that we have in common on the list. Spolstra. Yeah, exactly. The respect we have, because they're only 11 and 12. They're not even 500. But the the way Spolstra just squeezes every ounce of everything out of his team is just... He's the best coach in the league. And I know I said Monty is a top tier. I, I don't know that that's true, because I think it really is Spolstra end of and tier. of his own. I do. I think so. Okay. So you said, oh, they're 11 and 12, blah, blah, blah. 
in, what was it, 2016, 17, I believe. Remember the Heat were 11 and 30 to start the year? And they ended up making it to the playoffs? Who cares if they're 11 and 12? They were 11 and 30. And he still got in the playoffs with that team. With James Johnson and Deion Waiters as like the second and third best player. Like, it's just. And back then, there were only eight spots. Yep. Like, it wasn't even like they made it to the play-in. They made no. it all the way to the yep. legit playoffs being yep. 11 and 30. And that, that is a testament. And the team that he had was like 11 and 30 talent. With, I said, they had Tyler Johnson starting, Deion Waiters, James Johnson, all these guys who were already out of the league. I know James Johnson's on Indiana. They, for they were an 11 and 30 team in every sense of the record. Yep. And they made the playoffs under Spolstra. Which is why we can't count them out this year as much as I want to because my Bulls are floundering. They need some teams to drop if they're going to find their way in. And I don't think the Heat are going to, not because of the players, but because of the coaching staff. And I I I think that the Heat are the only team in the league where I, I think they're going to make the playoffs purely because of their coaching staff. Yeah, that's fair. Which, surprisingly, Spolstra doesn't have that many guys. And he doesn't have, like, his own coaching tree, really. Like, Budenholzer does, Popovich does. All these guys have, like, a coaching tree where they get assistance and become head coaches. When you're in the heat, you don't want to culture, you're in heat culture for yeah, life. you don't want to leave. You go to leave, and Pat Riley brings you into a dark room. He puts his rings on the table. And if you go to leave, he shoots you in the back of the head. Yep. Exactly. We, we cracked the code. Well, that's the perfect back. way to. That's the perfect way to end this podcast. Okay, Trey, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Final Finally. Okay, you guys could find me on Twitter at Bird Rights Pod. As I said, I'm probably going to be doing a executive um, ranking in the next few weeks. I'm going to be doing uh, some team previews in the next few weeks, where I focus on how well some of these teams that we weren't expecting to play this well are playing. So be on the lookout for that. Um, follow at Ethos Fantasy BK. Follow at Sports Ethos. Subscribe to Sports Ethos. If you are a serious fantasy player, DFS Daily. If you're interested in DFS, Keith Cork, Trey's co-host, does a phenomenal job with um with our DFS departments. If you guys haven't noticed, I've been dabbling a little bit with our betting department, doing some of that, giving some college basketball picks. I have written parts one, two, and three of my MLB roster opening day predictions i'm releasing episodes or not episodes articles four five and six in the next few weeks where i project every mlb team's opening day roster again you guys know on the front office guy that doesn't just apply to nba that also applies to baseball so yeah be on the lookout for that and we will talk to you guys next episode